Welcome to Retirement Plans A to Z. I'm Sue Burnett with Monarch Financial Advisors, and this series focuses on qualified retirement plans. There are a lot of moving pieces with these plans, and the rules are complicated and complex, so we're going to break them down into smaller pieces, 26 pieces to be exact, from A to Z, with maybe a few extras thrown in just for good measure. This is episode C, Common Ownership. We're going to talk about how ownership impacts qualified retirement plans. What if you own two companies 100%? What if you own two companies 25% each? But what if the other owner is your spouse? There are lots of rules, surprise, surprise, but don't worry, we can help. Let's talk it through. First, let's focus on the basics of common ownership and what you need to think about if you own more than one business and you want to sponsor a plan. And for each case, we'll throw an example in there to make it easier to follow. It should be clear as mud by the time we're all through. This is really important though. If two companies are under common ownership, we need to include all of those employees in our plan design. If not, the plan could be disqualified and that is bad news all around. So what do I mean by ownership? Well, someone's generally considered an owner if they own 5% or more of a business. Also, if your spouse, your children, your parents, or your grandparents work there, they're considered owners too. Yep, just because they're directly related to you, they're owners. So when we talk about owners, it's not just the people that run the business day in and day out, it's also your immediate family. This does not include anyone other than your spouse, your children, your parents, or your grandparents, and it only applies if you own more than 50% of the business. So a cousin, a brother-in-law, uncle, sister, ex-spouse, nope, nope, and nope. Here's a fun fact for you though. If you have a minor child under the age of 21, it doesn't matter if your spouse works at your business or not. Your spouse's business and your business will be considered a control group just because of the kid. So if you're a CPA and your spouse is a lawyer having two separate businesses, and if you have children under the age of 21, you need to count both businesses when you're looking at a plan. Once that child turns 21, you can have one plan for each business. I don't know if that's a fun fact or not, but it is what it is. So back to ownership. Now we've established who an owner is, so we're going to move on to common ownership of businesses and three different types of rules. The first is the easiest. It's a control group. A control group is two or more businesses under common control. What does that mean? One of two things. First is there's 80% common ownership. That's pretty easy. If I own 100% of one business and 80% of another, it's a control group. If I own 80% of one and 50% of another, it's not, unless my spouse owns the other 50%. Pretty tricky. But this one is, believe it or not, as clear as it gets. The second definition of a control group is that if there's less than five owners having 80% and there's identical ownership of more than 50%, it's a control group. So this is a little trickier. Let's say three buddies buy a business and they each own it a third each. Two of them then decide to invest in another business altogether, but they leave their third guy out. So there are three owners having more than 80% in total. Between the three of them, they own 100% of both, right? So what is the identical ownership? 
the two guys that are in each. They own 67% of the first business and 100% of the next. So common ownership is more than 50%, and this is a control group. So control groups are all about the numbers. If you can figure out who the owners are and what their percentage is, then it's just math. The next is an affiliated service group. I think these rules came in because people were finding a way around the control group math, to be honest. An affiliated service group is when businesses are not a control group, but they're related. One of them needs to be a service organization, which means that performance of services is their principal business. They build tables, they're not a service group. If it's a doctor or a CPA, that one would be. One of the ways to be an affiliated service group has a two-part test. In the first test, the second business is a partner or a shareholder in the service organization, and it doesn't matter what percentage. The second test is that there's a working relationship. The business regularly performs services for that service organization. So what does all this mean? Quote, facts and circumstances are used to determine whether a working relationship exists. That's helpful, right? My best example for this is if a doctor owns a business and is a 50-50 owner with another doctor for a lab. The lab only does work for this doctor. So that's a pretty clear working relationship, even though the math with the control group doesn't work. The second way for an affiliated service group is that most of the second business's work is to perform services for the service organization, and they're performing services that used to be done by employees of the service organization. Oh, and one more piece. 10% or more of that business must be held by high-paid employees of the service organization. So what the heck does that mean? This pretty much means you can't start up a new company, fire all your staff, and rehire them over in another company, and still call that two different companies. You still own both, and the employees over in the other company are doing work that they used to do for you. Here's a fun fact about business ownership in the U.S. Did you know that there are 28 million small businesses in the U.S., outnumbering corporations by 1162 to 1? We are small but mighty. The final way that common ownership can be defined is through a management organization. This happens when a business performs management functions and their principal business is doing this on a regular and continuing basis for another business. You don't need ownership. You don't need it to be a service business. It just looks at management functions. So here's an example. Let's say that a human resources and payroll organization does all human resources and payroll for only one company. This is clearly a management organization. But what's not a management organization? What if one organization manages a bunch of companies? I saw this a few years ago with a dental franchise. The management company took care of benefits, payroll, HR functions, but it didn't do it for just one company. It did it for close to 40 companies. So this was not considered common ownership. A final fun fact, we know all of these rules so you don't have to. So that's probably the best news you've heard yet in this edition, right? So wrapping it all up, this stuff is confusing and complicated and technical and complex. Absolutely, yes it is. So yes, these common ownership rules are confusing, complicated, and technical. What do you need to remember? That the rules are crazy, complicated, and technical when it comes to common ownership. And if an owner owns anything other than just the one business, 
We need to check it out to see how we need to set up the plan and to see who should be included. Want to learn more? Tune into the other A to Z podcasts where we continue to break down these wonderful and complex plans into bite-sized pieces. Remember, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Have any questions? Shoot me an email at monarchfinancialadvisors at gmail.com. Thanks for listening in and have a great rest of your day.